Golden State OG. Him and Steph Curry have a lot in common. Can that stay in there? That'd be two straight weeks with a basketball reference. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are doing part two of the Lion Sisters. And where did we leave off last week, Katie? When we left off last week, Sergeant Chris Homrock and Detective Dave Davis had just had their first interview with Lloyd Lee Welch, who was in prison on child molestation charges. They went into the interview thinking that Lloyd was simply a witness to another man, Ray Molesky, abducting 12-year-old Sheila and 10-year-old Kate Lyon. When they left, they realized that Lloyd was far more than a witness. He was likely their perp. In the first interview, Lloyd had asked Detective Davis to polygraph him, a relatively common request when people are trying to feign innocence. To conduct the polygraph, they invited Katie Leggett, a sex crime detective and the department's polygrapher. On February 10, 2014, the group, now joined by another detective, Mark Janney, went back to prison to try their chances at breaking Lloyd down. So why'd they bring the other people with them, the new detectives, just for, for more eyes? Good cop, bad cop. Davis is a nice one. Everyone else is going to. And then the polygrapher is the polygrapher. Oh, <laughs> polygrapher. I read that wrong when I read it earlier. Mm-hmm. Polygrapher? Some people say it that way. Nope, that's not what I read either. I read photographer. Oh. <laughs> Pretty close. Which would be a photographer, actually. <laughs> Katie began by building rapport with Lloyd, smiling and complimenting him through gritted teeth. They worked their way through the polygraph, which, surprise, surprise, Lloyd failed. Was she trying to, like, flirt with him or something? Why was she, like... You build rapport when you start an interview. What do you mean? You've never watched an interview? You've never watched a police interrogation ever? You use all of the assets you have. They have to know they can trust you or think they can trust you. What year was this? 2014? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. They then grilled him for hours, basically pleading with him to admit to something, as he was obviously not being truthful with them. He wouldn't budge, even at the threat of his name being released to the public as a person of interest in the case. He already made it through the majority of his prison sentence without anyone finding out about his child abuse charges. If his name was released in the news, his cover would be blown, and he would face severe consequences from his fellow inmates. So I wonder what this guy's life was like behind bars, being constantly afraid that his big secret was going to get out. That's got to be fucking terrifying. I don't think he was that afraid until here. Well, maybe he is. Is this man like a full-blown psychopath, Katie, where he doesn't really have that fear response to things? No, he's just fucking stupid. Oh, so he's just just really dumb. And I don't think he, like, I think once he made it probably through a year, he's probably like, oh, nobody will find out. I'm fine. The first year caring. is always the hardest. Oh, yeah, unless they get a new shot collar on the, on the yard and he's got to show his paperwork. I would like to be that guy who just comes in as the new warden and he's like, hmm, goes through everyone's paperwork and decides who he's going to out. Once the detectives had reached their limit and were ready to end the interview for the day, Lloyd said he was going to give them something, but he wasn't involved. He told Davis, quote, With the grabbing of the girls... The picture you showed me was the guy that did, that took the girls. And yes, I used to get high with them and stuff like that. We took them to his house. I went over to the house. When I was getting ready to pull in, I heard screams, a kid. I got scared, and I looked in, and everything like that. I seen men in there. I ran. That's why I went back to the mall. He described the house as having a basement with access through the backyard, where he went to party sometimes, but he conveniently couldn't remember the address or any of the men's names. 
Lloyd then told Davis, quote, When I went over there the next day, the girls were still there, and they were... It looked like they were grown up, you know? And I heard her scream, and I looked in, and I got scared. I wasn't going in there. I wasn't getting involved. I saw the girl. I knew that was the girls that he picked up at the mall. Davis interrupted him to ask if he remembered what the girls looked like. Lloyd said, quote, They were wearing nothing. They were drugged up. You could tell they were drugged up because they were lying there like that, you know? I mean, I looked in. When I heard the scream, I did look in, and it was just him and two other people in there. Davis asked if he knew them, and Lloyd replied, quote, I didn't see their faces. I just saw them body parts, you know. I know there was two males because they were screwing the girls, and I didn't see her face. That's why I got scared and ran, but can't tell you more. And that was it. Lloyd was done talking for the day. So did he just tell them the version of the story that he did, but from a third-person perspective? Is that what happened here? Pretty much, yeah. He just threw in some extra people. And this was, like, probably an eight-hour interview with the polygraph and all, and this was in the last five minutes. Right after he failed the polygraph? Yeah, I mean, they they basically grilled him for seven of the eight hours, and then in the last five minutes, he was like, wait, 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 let me tell you this. And then he was like, okay. What was he trying to do? Was he trying to get, like, a way to plea himself out because he knows all this information? He probably hadn't figured out how to work his new story into the way they were interviewing him, maybe. I don't know. I think he just liked to talk, and he liked to be out of the prison. If he tells them this in the last five minutes, they're going to come back. Oh, they're going to bring him back for another interview. Mm-hmm. Aha. Uh-huh. And he can talk some more. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck this guy. Not long after their second interview, department heads were pushing the detectives, now dubbed the Lion Squad, to let them release Lloyd's name to the public. They fought to keep their investigation under wraps, knowing that Lloyd would likely never speak to them again if they broke his trust. But we know from episode one, Lloyd's first interview, that he's not the sharpest tool in the shed and is pretty willing to incriminate himself because he has no idea he's doing it. You're referring to last episode where he... uh signed his plea and it said down at the bottom that it didn't give him immunity from the exact crimes that he was that and saying that i don't know they were probably like killed and then burned and everyone was like say that again come again sir uh yeah we need to start looking for burn spots as the squad and department bickered they got a call from a washington post reporter who let them know someone had given him all the details on Lloyd and the story would be running the next morning. Ooh, who was that? Who Snitch? I don't know. Snitches don't say that. They don't go to their captain, Ooh. their you chief of police, and say, I was the one that snitched. You know why? Huh. Snitches get stitches. Because then you get fired. And fired and stitches. Yeah, the thin blue wall there or whatever it is. It's a line. <laughs> whatever. What's the wall then? Well, they The can't. blue wall of silence. There you go. Yeah. And we know that... Cardinal rule, cops don't snitch on cops. Yeah, no fat cops getting over that blue wall. They're not snitching on anyone, though. They're just talking to a reporter. That's snitching. That is snitching. And just giving details of a case. Now that their cover was blown, the squad decided that they had no choice but to hold a press conference, and they might as well go all out. They ensured that their press conference would be run in Smyrna, where Lloyd was in prison. Why wouldn't you run the press conference, like, counties away? (laughs) Well, it was on TV. They're oh. running it, like, on all the news stations, but it doesn't reach. <laughs> what are you looking at me like that for? Just wondering if you know how TV works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the inmates only are going to get local channels, bruv. 
and so yeah, they made sure. Yeah, that's why they're they, ensuring that it's yeah, on the local they channels. Made sure so they that it was it. broadcast. They want them to see it. They want oh everyone to see it. He's gonna get outed either way, and they want to be the ones d- to do it. Yeah, they want to be the ones to fucking get that information. They want everyone to turn on him, and so he basically has to talk to make no himself look better. Choice. Man, these are some shisey cops. Cops yeah. are the shadiest of motherfuckers out there. They're so sneaky. They, they might as well be. They're trying to catch a pedophile murderer. Using Wait, sneaker use, sneaker tactics. Where's the comma in that sentence? A pedophile dash murderer, not a pedophile slash murderer. Oh, okay. Thank you for that distinction. Did I? Because f- if you were a pedophile murderer, we'd be like, Yay, go Yay. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that kind. Thanks for spelling that one out for everyone, Roar. They ensured that their press conference would be run in Smyrna, where Lloyd was in prison. He would be officially outed to every one of his prison buddies. Once Lloyd's name was out in the ether, the squad began receiving calls from all over, mostly from women who had been abandoned by Lloyd after getting pregnant. A man called detectives and told them that Lloyd had once broken up with his 24-year-old girlfriend to date a 15-year-old, telling the 24-year-old that she was too old for him. After interviewing all the women Lloyd had dated and learning more about his life story, they went back for their third interview on March 25, 2014. Lloyd had been moved into protective custody and had lost his job. Katie and Mark went in first, as she'd done the majority of the interviews with the women wronged by Lloyd. What was his job again? He was a chef in the prison kitchen. Ah, he added water to powder. Yes. (laughs) That's how they get their lettuce. After confronting him about the rather young woman he'd dated, Katie and Mark move on to the story he'd told the last interview. Lloyd claimed that he did in fact know who one of the people in the basement was, but he was scared of him. Yeah, his name was, uh, Lloyd? His name was Teddy Welch, Lloyd's cousin. Lloyd said that Teddy was between 18 and 20 when the girls were abducted, and that Teddy had seen Lloyd show up at the house and look into the basement, and then Teddy had threatened him to keep quiet the next day. Ray Molesky was now no longer involved in any way. Teddy was with an unknown man. Lloyd just so happened to be at the mall and watch Teddy abduct the girls, then so happened to show up at the house and stumble upon Teddy raping the girls in the basement. It was all just a coincidence. As he did, Lloyd shut down after providing this new story, and the interview ended. So let's just say that uh, all this is just a crazy coincidence. That's a pretty shitty week. (laughs) I mean, like, oh, hey, there's my cousin Teddy. What's he doing with them girls? Hmm. No worries. Forget about that. Oh, I'm going to go over to Teddy's house and get borrow a cup of sugar. What? <laughs> Teddy, no! Oh, Teddy, no! Oh, shit, he saw me. I just imagine little, like, five-foot-three Teddy running out of the house and just being like, hey, you! Well, he was scared of Teddy. I, I can understand why. He was a 19-year-old maniac. Teddy was? Yeah. Yeah. If Teddy, you believe Teddy this... Was- <laughs> If you believe the stories that our friend here is telling. Yeah. Teddy was also known by Junior to some of the family, too. So he had some really tough nicknames. Yeah. Around the, around the block. Teddy June. The squad set out to find Cousin Teddy. <laughs> Why hey, you, you sing Teddy? <laughs> Probably pretty close to what it sounded like. Hey, y'all sing Cousin Teddy? Cousin Teddy I done left imagine. out the back. They all call him Cousin Teddy. 
Yeah, oh yeah, the whole town. The whole town. I, wait, 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 you describing Cousin Teddy. Check four trailers yonder. I seen, I seen Teddy, Cousin Teddy go down to uh, Cousin Jill's. Jill's? Jill. I can't remember her name. You know the one cousin with the funny tooth? That one. Yeah, he went down and heard down on over your yeah. yonder. That's actually Yolanda's cousin. Yolanda over yonder. She <laughs> has her cousin. He was living with his wife and children in Maryland, leading a seemingly normal life. The first thing they learned was that Teddy was actually seven years younger than Lloyd, which would have made him 11 when the girls were abducted. Yep, tough guy Teddy. 11. Five, six, tough little Teddy. I was so scared of him. <laughs> Lloyd was 18. They then learned of Teddy's interesting childhood. He, like Lloyd, had been severely abused by his father, and his mother had left when he was very young. At age 13, he was taken by social services and placed into a boy's home. One day, while on a field trip with his school, he realized that he was near where his mother was supposedly living, so he set off to find her. Walking down the road, he was picked up by a man named Thomas Crazel. Thomas helped Teddy find his mother's home and then left him with a business card. When living with his mother didn't work out, Teddy called Thomas up. The thing about Thomas was that one, he was very wealthy, and two, he was a pedophile. If ever a wealthy man leaves you his business card and says, hey, give me a call. If this doesn't work out, don't, don't give them a call. Thomas invited Teddy to live with him, which he gladly accepted. He bought Teddy lavish gifts, treated him well, and listened to his problems. The only thing Teddy had to do in return was sexual favors. Was that all? In comparison to his old life, Teddy was fine with the trade-off. He lived with Thomas for 10 years, eventually confronting him about his discomfort with the sexual abuse occurring, which Thomas immediately put to an end. Really? Yes. He didn't get all mad and... After a while, it was like a weird father-son relationship. Teddy met his wife not long after and moved into his own home, which was funded in part by Thomas. In 2014, when detectives found him, Teddy and his family were still receiving money from Thomas. With his backstory, the squad began to wonder if Lloyd may have possibly been telling the truth. When they first heard he was only 11 in 1975, they practically laughed it off. But Teddy would have been living with his father and being severely abused, making him an easy target if one of their older family members had wanted someone to lure two young girls into their home. Oh, so like use, a, use the kid to lure him in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Was uh, Thomas paying him, kind of like paying him to stay quiet about the whole thing at this point? Just keep paying his life or he was just like, daddy. I think at some point it became just mm. like a mutual relationship. Yeah, it like, sounds bad because he literally just groomed him into this weird father-son dynamic where he's still supporting him. But Teddy seemed okay in 2014, Teddy. as okay as you can be. With this new information, the squad went back to see Lloyd on April 24th, 2014. This time, Lloyd jumped right in, explaining to Detective Davis that he'd gone to the house Teddy was living in, Thomas's, and saw the girls there. One vital piece of information Lloyd admitted without realizing it was correctly describing what the girls had been wearing the day they disappeared, something that hadn't been released to the public. So in one way or another at this point, they knew he was there. He'd seen him, and, for sure. And he's probably lying about the rest. And he's also now lying about the house that he went to, to and saw them? Or he's changing mm -hmm. his story? Yeah, no, now he says that he's at Thomas Crazel's house and Teddy is there and they're sitting on a couch and there's no basement. And Teddy's 11. And Teddy's 11, yes. But he's really buff. One of the girls is literally older than Teddy. 
but he's really buff. Apparently. He also described how the girls looked when he'd walked into the basement and seen them. Quote, I wouldn't say they looked like they were in stress. I'd say more they were like getting high for the first time, you know? You're like, wow, man. <laughs> I can't say that seriously. What? They were kind of like rocking back and forth on the couch there, and the guy was sitting on one side, and Teddy was sitting on the other side with the other girl. I seen him lean over to kiss or whatever, and they turned around and walked away. They looked like they were high, looked like they were having a good time. They weren't screaming or hollering or anything like that. Doesn't that sound like someone trying to make it seem like something they did wasn't as bad as they did? Basically. He's trying to justify it, like, oh, they were having a good old time. Now, instead of the story he told last time about two screaming children being raped, Lloyd was expecting detectives to believe that the girls were there almost willingly completely relaxed and enjoying themselves. After proclaiming the story was 100% the God's honest truth, Lloyd was done talking and the interview ended. If you thought Teddy's living situation was bad, let me tell you about the entire Welch family. And their fucking grape orchards. Half of the family lived in a small Maryland town, and the other half, arguably the worst half, lived in Virginia on a tucked away hilltop called Taylor's Mountain. Intergenerational abuse, both physical and sexual, affected every single family member. So they're incestual. Yes. Fathers would beat and molest their children, which led to their children molesting their cousins and sometimes even their sisters. Almost everyone abused drugs and alcohol, and no one, and I mean absolutely no one, went to police. Because the cycle had been continuing for so many generations, incest and physical abuse were just the norm, but they knew others outside the family would disagree. They protected each other and their family's reputation fiercely, ensuring that law enforcement and social services never caught wind of what was happening in the Welch family. Two of the key people whose names you'll be hearing a lot are Uncle Dick and Aunt Pat. Uncle Dick was Lloyd's paternal uncle, the only one still alive in the family. Neither Uncle Dick or Aunt Pat liked Lloyd much, understandably. Uncle Dick thought Lloyd was a dick. What's unsettling here is their names together are Dick Pat and their molesters. Unreal. The reason they were important was because the Lion Squad had been watching Teddy's phone records after interviewing him and noticed he'd been calling Uncle Dick and Aunt Pat quite a lot in the weeks following the press conference, announcing Lloyd as a person of interest in the Lion case. Teddy and Uncle Dick didn't have much of a relationship and rarely spoke, but for some reason... The day of the press conference, Teddy drove over an hour to Taylor's Mountain to speak with Dick in person. During a search of Lloyd's prison cell, they also found a note in which Lloyd explained he was extremely concerned Dick and Pat were conspiring against him, almost as if they had some very vital information he did not want getting out to the public. Was, all, was that just placed there to make it seem like his story was legit? or? No, he basically wrote a memoir in prison. And they went through his cell and took all of it to learn more about what he thought was going on in his life. Ah, was it interesting? Probably I not. I doubt it, yeah. About as interesting as prison can be. When Dick and Pat were interviewed by the squad, both said they knew nothing about the case, but wholeheartedly believed Lloyd was capable of kidnapping, raping, and murdering children. If someone says that about you, you can't be a good person. Yeah, I'm especially your family. I'm pretty sure that everyone met this guy probably said that. This carny, carnival folk person. We got pictures of this guy? We do, yeah. I sent them to you guys and then I'll put them on Facebook too. He's got an interesting nose on him. Yeah, it's really... 
He kind of looks like a white trashier Kid Rock. No. When he was young up there, you know? Yeah, when he was young, he kind of looks like uh, a drifter killer. (laughs) Especially in the composite sketch there. In the composite sketch there, he just looks like Sonny Bono. (laughs) To me, he kind of looks like someone who would show up in one of your dreams on a train car. He wants to sell you, like, warm milk or something. (laughs) I don't know. This guy looks incredibly untrustworthy all throughout, especially when he looks like the shaved eyebrow Junior Soprano. Yeah, why doesn't he have eyebrows? We're going to get to that, right, Katie? No, we're not. I have no idea why he doesn't have eyebrows. Oh. I think they're just gray. On July 14th, 2014, the squad figured they should go see what Lloyd had to say about his loving family. Detective Davis had a new theory he wanted to test out. Maybe Lloyd had been roped into helping Uncle Dick and Teddy kidnap the girls, and he was refusing to talk because he was trying to protect his family. In typical Lloyd fashion, a light bulb went off, and all of a sudden, that's exactly what happened. He now said that Uncle Dick had driven him and Teddy to the mall that day and waited in the car as he and Teddy wandered around. Eventually, Teddy got to talking to Sheila and Kate, and they agreed to go with him. They got into the car and left the mall, but Lloyd asked them to drop him off at a gas station, and he had absolutely no idea what happened after that, as he totally made up the part about seeing the girls being raped or high and enjoying themselves, depending on the interview. But either way, it all gets back to Teddy, right? And Uncle Dick. And Uncle Dick. Now, probably five minutes later, he said he lied about lying, and he did, in fact, see Uncle Dick raping one of the girls in the basement. Lloyd said that he personally thought that Uncle Dick had probably kept the girls alive in the basement for a week. Another one of those things that make you wonder if any normal, uninvolved person would actually just guess. With that, the interview ended. The only difference was Lloyd was now officially a kidnapper, implicated in the crime by himself. So are they going to just go after him for kidnapping, or are they going to keep up this charade? They keep going, but I mean technically in... Virginia, it's one of those states that you don't actually have to murder anybody to be charged with murder. Because felony murder, if someone dies when you're committing another crime, then you are responsible for murder. Culpable. Yes. Culpable? That's what I said. Culpable. (laughs) So basically, Detective Davis went over there and used a little bit of old school cop reverse psychology on him. No, they literally told him what they were going to do in a paper that he signed. He went at him straight forward and said, yeah, you ever, you fucking implicate yourself, you're going to be fucked. And Yeah, but then he went back and he was like, hey, are you maybe just trying to protect your uncle? And he's like, yeah, yeah that's totally. It. That's it. I'm not a rapist. The thing with the case and charging him at this point was that, one, they had no evidence, and two, because of the tactics where they basically gave him a story and Lloyd would immediately be like, oh my God, how did you know? That's exactly what happened, is that that wouldn't hold up in court if he got a good defense attorney. It's not a coerced confession, basically? Borderline? Not really. It's leading, but leading. they didn't offer him anything. But they basically just said, hey, maybe like it happened this way. And Lloyd would say, yeah. But if they did try to take him to court, I imagine he would have taken the stand against the advice of his attorney and just talked himself into prison again. So either way, he's fucked. Either way, he's winning. He doesn't know what the Fifth Amendment is. Uh, there's a mouth on his face for a reason. In September, the squad got approval to set up wiretaps on Dick, Pat, and Teddy's phones, and to no surprise, it was a hot topic of conversation. They also learned that there was an old cemetery up on Taylor's Mountain, so of course they started digging. 
With the wiretaps, they were able to overhear Aunt Pat, who claimed to know nothing, say things like, quote, they're going to find something on that mountain, and quote, those aren't their graves, they're on the wrong side of the mountain. That's what she said? Yes. Totally oh. normal conversation. Who did she yeah. say it to? Someone in the family, I'm not entirely sure. Those idiot cops are looking in the wrong spot where I hid all those dead bodies of people I murdered. Do you remember in 62 on June 13th when I killed that little boy? And then again on June 16th, 16th a year later? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Was she senile at this point? No. She... No, she was very smart. She was probably the smartest one out of all of them because she didn't admit to anything ever. Aunt Pat. The smartest of the aunts and the Uncle Dicks. They discovered a large fire pit that the family apparently used to burn everything. Assuming the fire pit had been used to burn the girls' bodies after they were killed, they began searching through the rubble, hoping to find some sort of evidence. Although they did find burned bone fragments, they were too degraded to ever be tested, leaving the detectives back at square one. Even with the wiretaps and multiple search warrant for Dick and Teddy's houses, they didn't find anything incriminating, for them at least. They did discover that Teddy fell off an icy rooftop in February of 1975, a month before the girls disappeared. If Teddy being 11 wasn't enough to make you skeptical about Lloyd's story, add in two broken arms in full casts. Ah, so he was a child and he was crippled. He was gimped up. For sure. So here's the thing, though. That actually is a good way to get people to help you is just be. That's true. Be hurt, especially if you're 11 years old. What's an 11-year-old going to do? Beat you to death with his cast arm. That's what. The way Lloyd was making it out is that Teddy was involved in helping keep the girls in the basement as they were being abused. So, like, I'm sure you could... I guess you maybe be, would be able to approach someone and be like, hey, come get in the car with me and this 20-year-old and my 50-year-old uncle. Hey, can you help me get my stuff to the car? I can't find my uncle. Oh, but sure, little crippled kid. I will help you. Lloyd was with him, and then they just uh, that's true. willingly got in the car, supposedly. And Lloyd was an adult. Yeah. And Uncle Pat was... Or uncle, uncle Dick. Uncle Dick was a... Old man. Was, yeah, old and wrinkly. Detectives only continued to find information implicating Lloyd. The most damning piece of evidence came from a woman named Connie Akers. She was Lloyd's cousin, but fairly removed from the family. She recalled that in 1975, Lloyd and Helen came up to Taylor's Mountain unannounced. Lloyd was wearing filthy clothes that were caked in dried blood, and he was carrying a very large duffel bag. He explained that his clothes were covered in blood because the duffel bag was full of ground beef. Who the fuck puts ground beef in a duffel bag? Because how much ground beef you have, bro. He said they were out camping, basically. They didn't have anywhere to live, so they were out, like, setting up shop in the woods and having to sleep out there, and it went bad because he was just carrying a bag full of ground beef. A duffel bag, not like a Ziploc bag. A literal duffel bag full of ground beef. Which tells you how good he is at coming up with stories right on the spot. Yeah. Well, I think what probably happened here was that, you know, like you say, he didn't have a whole lot of money. And he found this really, really nice duffel bag, probably a Columbia or something. Waterproof, it said. Finally, something I can carry my meat in. And so he just started carrying his meat in his duffel bag. It makes a lot of sense to me. You guys are discounting the fact that carnival folk are notorious 
for having meat bags. So you're going camping tomorrow. Where is your duffel bag full of meat? Well, it's in the freezer now, so it stays frozen until we get it out there. Into the, it'll, it'll last two days in a duffel bag, no problem. And he just puts a duffel bag in the water. Extra salt. They weren't around any water. But yeah, so basically he's just said, I, you know, we didn't have anywhere to stay. We were hitchhiking and it went bad. Huh. We were hitch. Where did the meat come from in the first place, though? <laughs> he didn't have because, the, like, the I don't think road? she asked. Probably, because here's the thing, is that if you go to a butcher shop and you're like, yeah, give me a half a half a slab of ground beef, you know, a bunch of fucking ground beef, enough to fit in a duffel bag, they're not going to just be like, oh, did you bring your duffel bag, sir? I did, as a matter of fact. Waterproof. Well, this was way back in the day, right? This is, I'm not going to mention why he knew how much it weighed until later, but... The rough estimate on the weight of this bag was 70 to 80 pounds. Well, that's a whole side of, that's a whole quarter side of beef right there. 70 to 80 pounds of ground beef that he took camping while he was hitchhiking. Is it possible that it was 70 to 80 pounds of ground girl? I just, I just yes. imagine him coming across this like giant tower of meat in the woods somewhere and him just being all excited and stuffing his pack full of it. He's <laughs> like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, yeah, stuff, stuff my bag. bag. And I think that... Dumps out all his provisions. You know when someone says something so stupid that you just can't say anything back to them? I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Connie. Oh. She was like, it's ground beef. And she was like, I'm oh. just going to leave. Yeah, I don't like, want... What? I actually don't want to know <laughs> what's in that bag anymore. Sorry I asked. She, along with many other neighbors, recalled a fire that the Welch family burned during this time that made the entire mountain smell absolutely awful. Well, and it couldn't have been human because I heard that smells delicious. Remember in episode one when Detective Davis asked Lloyd what he thought had happened to the girls? <laughs> he said they were probably killed and burned. Probably. Connie's brother, Henry, was also on the mountain when Lloyd showed up. He said that Lloyd was carrying a bloody duffel bag and asked to throw it into the fire that was burning, as Helen's dog had gotten underneath her car while it was jacked up and had been crushed and killed. Ew. So it was either a bag full of ground beef or a bag that they'd put a dead dog in and then driven all the way to Virginia. Or neither of those things. Exactly. Henry helped Lloyd throw the bag into the fire as it weighed 70 to 80 pounds, and he watched as Lloyd threw a second bag in himself. Ooh, a smaller bag? Lighter yes. weight. Because Lloyd seems like a pussy. He couldn't just grab a 70-pound bag and huck it in the fire himself. It was a big fire, so, I mean, when you got close enough to just throw something in yourself, it was hot. So they kind of had to like swing to it. To give and it then the old heave ho. The squad was eager to hear what Lloyd would say to all this new information. On January 28th, 2015, they went back for another interview. They began talking about Teddy's injuries and how two broken arms would make it rather difficult to do anything, let alone kidnap two young girls. Lloyd said that he remembered Teddy being hurt, but he'd been wearing a jacket the day of the kidnapping, so he didn't see any casts. Ah, uh, good save. Ah, yes, you can't uh, wear a jacket with casts most of the time, I don't think. I mean, they were broken. I'm pretty sure these were, like, full arm casts. So, yeah. like, he was immobile, and he apparently was able to put a jacket on and kidnap <laughs> yeah. children. Detective Davis then moved on to his visit to Taylor's Mountain in 1975. Lloyd explained that he and Helen hitchhiked everywhere, so they carried all their belongings in a duffel bag. A green army duffel bag, exactly the same as Henry had described it. Davis then asked where they slept, and Lloyd, somehow not remembering that he said they hitchhiked everywhere five seconds ago, said in their car. 
<laughs> Not in this bag of meat. <laughs> That's the pillow, bro. Davis explained what they had all learned from Connie and Henry about the bloody duffel bag and fire, and of course, Lloyd had an explanation. He had been at Taylor's Mountain that night. Around 1.30 a.m., he was awoken by Dick pulling up in a car. He watched out of the window as Dick and Henry took a duffel bag out and threw it into the fire. He also admitted to agreeing to help kidnap the girls from the mall, claiming that Dick had asked him to help find some girls to quote-unquote party with. The rest of the story stayed the same, and they concluded their seventh interview. So in this new version, he helped him kidnap children, female children, girls to party with. Yes. I'm just trying to get across that they weren't, like, adult girls. They're No, Uncle Dick said he wanted Teddy and Lloyd to go out and find some girls to party with. So I noticed that this time, Teddy didn't get fingered in this story. He was still around, but he's starting to be less and less involved because of the casts <laughs> and being 11. <laughs> a little less than a month later, they were back. They had Lloyd run through the story again, but this time he slipped up. When he was asked why Uncle Dick would take the girls to the basement of his house, where he lived with his wife, Pat, and children, Lloyd said that Pat wasn't home, quote, when we got there. Oh, oh shit. You burned yourself, you little fuck. Up to this point, he'd been claiming that he'd gotten out of the car at a gas station and didn't know what happened until he stumbled on the scene in the basement. After a little prodding, Lloyd admitted that he'd never gotten out of the car and had arrived at Dick's house with Dick, two broken arms Teddy, <laughs> and the girls. But he, of course, left immediately after overhearing a conversation between Dick and Teddy where Dick said, quote, they can always meet their maker. He then made his probably most absurd claim yet. He said he and Helen went back to Dick's house the day after he witnessed Dick raping one of the girls and was asked to babysit. Dick apparently told him they wanted to stay for a while because they liked getting high. And now, rather than being in the basement, they were in an upstairs room with some couches and a pool table, apparently just enjoying themselves, despite Lloyd claiming to have seen them being raped not even 24 hours earlier. And keep in mind that Dick lived in this house with Pat and their four children, who would have almost certainly seen two random little girls hanging out with their father. To make things even more questionable, Dick and Pat's house was literally across the street from the county courthouse, which was buzzing with cops all day, every day. So did he forget where his aunt and uncle lived, or what? Probably. Ah. It seems like there's no limit to his uh, lack of planning and lack of thinking things through. He just literally like comes up with a lie that fits his story at the in that exact moment, but it's there's no way it could be true, and he hasn't thought it through before. So does this guy just have like extremely poor impulse control, Katie? Is that part of what he is, or is he just a piece of shit idiot? I'm sure he has horrible impulse control, but he's also just dumb. Like I've been saying this whole time, he's just stupid, and he doesn't know that he can just like Not stop talk. talk. Yeah. yeah, he and. The thing with him saying all of this super random stuff is obviously it sounds good in his head because he has time to sit and think all of this through before the interviews because he's literally in prison. He has nothing else to do besides think about this. And there's sometimes a month between interviews, so he has hours upon hours to sit and be like, oh, I babysat them. That sounds right. <laughs> well, plus he's also like kind of slowly getting himself more and more into the situation every single time. Yeah. And he doesn't know. He doesn't understand that. He thinks that he's still just a witness. 
free and clear. Yeah. After this interview, the squad discovered another long-lost Welsh relative named Wes, Lloyd's cousin. He said that back in 2014, not long after the press conference, he'd been passing by Uncle Dick's house and saw him outside mowing the lawn. He stopped to catch up, and apparently Dick just openly admitted that he, Lloyd, and Lloyd's father, Lee, had been the ones who kidnapped, raped, and killed Sheila and Kate before transporting their bodies to Taylor's Mountain and burning them. Now they had someone to corroborate Lloyd's story, making them hopeful they were finally uncovering some truth. But they weren't, were they, Katie? Debatable. This guy, I'm just gonna say it, smells like a plant. Sounds like the family's trying to switch up the narrative, get the attention away from old Lloyd. Here's the thing. What if Lloyd is really like a Kaiser Sose? You know what I'm saying? From the, the usual suspects. Have you ever seen that movie? Anyway, so the whole movie is predicated on nobody knows who Kaiser Sose is. Like, but he's this mental genius mastermind. But in the movie, long story short, he's like the guy in the movie that you think is pretty simple and slow. So uh-huh. what if Lloyd is just, like, playing 3D chess and has something in his pocket from Wes and had Wes make up this whole fucking story? There's really no way because Les... Les. There's really no way because Wes didn't have any contact with the family that the detectives could prove. So he wasn't in contact with Lloyd, obviously. They would know that. He's in prison. They watch his calls and his letters. And he Prisoners wasn't, can get word out, Katie. He wasn't in contact with Dick and Pat because they had wiretaps. So it seemed legitimate. Conjugal he, visits. They don't give those to You have to be married. Molesters. And you have to be married. <laughs> On May 1st, they were back for yet another interview. Lloyd started out by saying that after thinking about it, he was almost 100% certain that the girls they'd kidnapped actually weren't Sheila and Kate. (laughs) They were just two runaways who looked similar. And that's why they were fine with being there, because they had run away and they were looking for someone to stay. Oh yeah, this is what they were looking for. Uncle Dick! Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what everybody wants is Uncle Dick. Yeah. He also recalled where the crime scene might be, where he believed Dick took the girls and dismembered them before putting them into a duffel bag. There was a bridge that ran over a river not far behind Dick's house where he liked to hang out. Lloyd said that most likely Dick, quote, drugged them and took them there, and that's where he did what he had to do, which is not probably the right thing to say. Maybe choose better words to describe that. The squad decided to end this interview with some theatrics. As Lloyd sat in the room alone, three Virginia detectives walked in and told Lloyd that he was being charged with murder, unless he could come up with some really good information that proved he hadn't been involved with any aspect of the girl's murder. I bet you it's really fun when this situation comes up in the cop place, and they're all like, hey, hey, I need three guys, I need blah, blah, blah. we're going to get this all set up, we're going to scare the shit out of this guy. And then they all go in, all balls to the wall. It's like the highlight of their afternoon, probably. I don't know. The Dunkin' Donuts where they were planning it earlier was probably pretty enjoyable. Detective Davis, feeling a little hopeless after ten interviews and zero evidence, set out to find the bridge the girls had supposedly been killed under. Driving to the address, he was let down once again when Dick's house was nowhere near the river, making it basically impossible for Dick to take two drugged girls there with no one noticing. Hoping he'd gotten the addresses confused, Davis went to another house that belonged to someone in the Welch family. It was closer to Lloyd's description, but the bridge provided almost no cover, again making it impossible to go unnoticed. 
Feeling hopeless, Davis was about to go home when another house caught his attention. When he looked at the address, he realized it was the one Lloyd had given in 1975 when he gave his original statement, his father Lee's house. It fit every description Lloyd had given of Uncle Dick's house throughout their interviews. When the homeowner agreed to let him look around, Davis stopped in his tracks when she said that the basement could only be accessed through the backyard. In every single story Lloyd had told, there was always a basement that you could only get to from the backyard. All this time, Lloyd had been describing his house, not Dick's. Once inside, Davis knew he'd walked into a crime scene. Everything was spot on to Lloyd's descriptions. Once the back room had been sprayed with Blue Star, similar to Luminol, it glowed blue. The room was literally covered top to bottom in blood. They finally knew that Lloyd was their man. How long can blood stay like that? To react with luminol when it soaks into concrete. A very long time. 40 years, obviously. Because it reacts with the, the iron in your hemoglobin, so which doesn't really degrade. So he just started going through and hitting old properties, basically. I mean, this was an address that he had given, but not one that he had given in the interviews. He had just written it. Because when you give a statement to police, they ask you mm. phone number, address, mm. blah, 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 if they ever need to find you or call you. And this was the address he had written down at that point. Ah, another bright moment for Lloyd. A week later, they went back to talk to Lloyd and see what he had to say. He stuck with his story, minus two broken arms Teddy, and replacing him with Lee, his father. And now, they weren't just raping the girls, they were making child porn. You think he did that to try to make it seem like that much more of an issue? You guys gotta go get them! Like, they're, they're, make, they're, oh no, it's, it's old, huh? Are they even alive anymore? His dad, Lee? I don't think Lee was, but Dick was. He apparently had also seen Lee break one of the girls' necks, and Dick start cutting her body up in the basement before putting them into a duffel bag. As always, he was conveniently not part of any of the gruesome details, just the kidnapping, and had no intention of the girls dying. Despite his trustworthy nature, he, and he alone, was indicted on capital murder charges on July 14, 2015. Davis had one more interview with Lloyd, but nothing significant came of it, besides Lloyd admitting that Teddy had just been a scapegoat. And they were really surprised by that, weren't they? Yeah, they were like, what, Teddy with two broken arms? On September 12th, 2017, almost 42 and a half years after Sheila and Kate Lyon disappeared, Lloyd Welch pleaded guilty to two counts of felony murder, but maintains he did not kill or rape either of the girls. Around the time of his plea, a tooth that was judged to be belonging to a child around 12 years old was found on Taylor's Mountain. It was bagged and supposed to be tested, but somewhere along the way disappeared without a trace, with no explanation from the sheriff's department. The one piece of John and Mary Lyon's daughters that may have finally brought them some comfort was lost, only leaving them with more questions. Damn, that's kind of a sad ending, Cody. <laughs> Did the whole he... thing wasn't sad? Yeah, but the ending's even more sad because they don't get any closure. They never found a body, right? No, they've never found any any sort of evidence. They have bone fragments, but they don't know if they're the girls. They have Lloyd, but it's kind of like 50-50 with the squad. Some of them believe that it was Lloyd just by himself. Some of them believe that Uncle Dick and Lee were more than likely involved, too, and they just don't have any sort of evidence to put them in prison for it. Because they don't talk. Because they're smart. Yeah. Ish, at least. Hmm. So what do you think? I think it was Lloyd by himself. Yeah, 100%. So do I. Without question. Personally, I think he's where he needs to be. Yeah. 
Is that going to do it for us this week, Katie? That is it, yep. All right, guys, if you have any, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, on Twitter at fourcornerscast, and at fourcornerscrimecast.tumblr.com. Don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com where you can you can get a full episode list and you can submit ideas for any episodes you guys want to hear or you can get your free sticker from our merch store by entering the code bingo bango at checkout so just remember to think things through so you don't end up like dumb lloyd plead the fifth plead the fifth don't agree to talk to police and thank you for the idea for the episode Leanne McVeigh we will talk to you next week thanks Have a good Leanne one. Adios, motherfuckers see ya Honestly, listening to myself is the worst thing you've ever you guys have ever made me do. I think I sound so dumb. Dude, this was your idea. Yeah.